Well, we're looking at the glory of God in redeeming a people together. The glory of God is. That's a little phrase that commences a definition. And a definition that you're going to become acquainted with in a variety of ways through the time that is yet ahead of us today and tomorrow. It's a sentence that has to be completed and reviewed and pondered over constantly. And uh, dear brothers in our Savior have uh, endeavored to fill up that definition in a variety of ways. The glory of God is, it's certainly the sum of His perfect attributes, but it's attributes also that have been graciously revealed, both to men and to angels, intelligent creatures that God designed to have the capacity to appreciate what He would put before them. God, as we have already heard this morning, and as Pastor Brian led us to remember, His glory is displayed in who He is and in what He does. We serve our Lord Jesus, and we, we know that God's Spirit delights to impress us with His person and His works, who He is and what He does, and also what He says, His mighty words. God declared His glory in His name. Moses says, who am I going to tell sent me? This is a big task. Tell him I am sent you. Yahweh, the, the glorious, all-sufficient one. It indicates the nature of his being, even in the name that he chose to give us. Sometimes the glory of God was manifest visibly. Most notably in the Old Testament in a glory cloud. The Shekinah glory cloud that allowed the children of Israel to know that He was there. Protecting them, leading them, caring for them. The omnipresent God at times said visibly, I'm not all, only everywheres, but I am right here. The manifest glory of God was for that purpose, to allow people to know that He was nearby and that He was with them. One of the great quality one-liners from Peter, which if he had stopped, would have lasted and been far more impressive, but that was Peter, right? As he watched the glory of the transfiguration, the radiance of deity in the person of Christ. He made this statement, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Stop, Peter, don't say anything else. That's a quality statement. And when you think about it, um, Sunday we're going to hear about those moments when it is good for us to be here. And the radiance will be the privilege of our eternal existence. God's glory will ultimately and eternally be obvious when He has brought all things to its predetermined and glorious conclusion. 
Here's a little definition among many that you can choose and work through. And they all have a, a masterful similarity. This is from a man, a brother named Christopher Morgan. The glory of God is the magnificence, worth, loveliness, and grandeur of His many perfections, which He displays in His creative and redemptive acts in order to make His glory known to those in His presence. Displayed in creative and redemptive acts. Truly, God's creative acts, which we thought on last evening, were completely tied to His redemptive plan. At creation, in the beginning, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who knew the end from the beginning, was fully committed to one singular creation to consummation script if we can put it that way. A script which he composed. A predetermined sequence of events with his sovereign oversight that would surely come to pass. That script would permit the introduction into his universe of evil for his own purposes. He's not the author of evil, but he permitted it to stain and become a part of his universe. But it's evil that he will deal with decisively. Everything that is so contrary to his nature and harmful to his creation in the way that he ordained will be dealt with primarily through the incarnation and substitution of his son, the Lord Jesus, to redeem a people for himself in grace. I was delighted to watch the youngsters here. I just it's amazing. It's fun to I wish I had time to get to know y'all. It's it's really cool. And the Rubik's cubes are flying around and we got to talk about timing and and uh, how do you take all those mixed up colors and make a Rubik's cube what it's Bring it to its one proper condition. Never learned that skill. But we look at our world and we look at our universe right now and we say, man, it sure is a scrambled mess. But you know what? God knows how to put it all together and He will in its perfection to His great glory. There is evidence and Really, the biblical declaration in the Word of God is concerning this creation to consummation reality. This is the Word of God that we lean on. Revelation 13.8 All who dwell on the earth will worship Him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. Phrases like that, expressions like that, help us appreciate the fact that in creation, redemption was in fact 
incorporated significantly and already settled in the mind of God. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Prior to creation, redemption was already in the heart and mind of the Lord. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestinated us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. What's the next phrase? To the praise of the glory of His grace. Again, Peter describes it. You are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, for He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through Him are believers in God. So the Word of God is very clear. At creation, redemption was already part of the creation, the consummation script, that the Father had sovereignly laid out in His own heart and will. Well, as we go through the, our study this morning, let's begin by looking at the commencement of redemption. This plan that God had leading from creation to consummation. We look at the commencement of it from the very first moments of God dealing with and interacting with someone made in His own image and likeness. Adam. Pre-fall. Walking in the garden. We, don't have, we have no idea how often or how many times, how long this, it was, but the, the indication is that Adam and Eve were privileged to walk with the Lord Jesus pre-incarnate in the garden and interact with Him, enjoy the awesome fellowship for which they were created. And from that first interaction with pre-fall Adam to the fall, we are introduced immediately to the commencement of redemption when the Lord Himself issued a compassionate and effective call to a cringing, hiding, Naked, leaf-sowing, shame-filled sinner by saying, Adam, where are you? And the work of redemption was commenced. The God of glory not being willing that this man should perish. Blood was shed. Garments of covering were provided. The pictures of substitution and the wonders of God providing for Adam what he could not provide for himself. And redemption's plans and pictures were already underway. Redemption begun. Secondly, we look at the continuity 
of redemption. All we have to do is open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 and we walk through a sampler of God's redemptive work in human lives. We read, by faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. And then we get all the way to the phrase where the true writer of of Hebrews said, time would fail me to tell you. Because the list of human beings that were targets of the redemptive work of God down through the ages is exhausting. And so time passes from Adam to where the writer is giving us his record. Epics of time go by. People are born. Lives are lived. Souls walk their little vapor journey across planet Earth, but known unto God and dear to Him. These individuals, by God's grace, are brought to know Him. And the Old Testament host, says the writer to the Hebrews, gained approval through their faith. Targets of redemption. Brought to know the Lord. Brought back into a relationship with Him that sin canceled and made impossible. Their relationship with the Lord and His redeeming work transformed their worship. Find that in Abel right away, don't we? Approaching God. Worshiping according to the truth. It transformed their walk. And we read of Enoch who walked with God. He was pleasing to the Lord and the Lord took him home without dying. It transformed their work. And we read of Noah who responded to the Lord about warnings of things that they were unfamiliar with and built an ark in the right time frame and according to the plan in order to be rescued from the judgment that was approaching. All of them transformed and their lives transformed by the redeeming work of God. And then we talk about these that Encourage us so deeply. I loved preaching through the life of Jacob. Really, Lord? How do you save rascals like that? How do you keep them? How do you sanctify guys that at 147 years of age say, oh, this has been too tough. But he does. Samson? Really, Lord? In the hall of faith? What's he doing there? Gideon? Putting out his little sheepskin? Changing his mind inside out, upside down? Lord, you're just going to have to convince me? And you and I know and appreciate the fact that these characters are written there for our encouragement. lest we think that um, we or our dear brothers and sisters that surround us are 
cases that God can't handle. Rahab? Ruth? Those are Gentile ladies. They're outsiders. They were, really? Really, Lord? Graciously, graciously redeemed. And you have studied and appreciated God's kindness to Ruth and the wonder of a tiny little book that is rich with redemptive character. God raises up a, an unknown and unseen redeemer. He had to be related. He had to be willing. He had to have the cash, the ability. All those factors had to be in place. And when it came down to the moment of truth, Boaz says, I will redeem her. And in fact, did. Psalm 111, verse 9. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The name of the Redeemer. Psalm 137 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness. As said, Old Testament concept of grace. And with Him is abundant redemption. He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. The text that we heard this morning earlier. From the Hall of Faith listing to the closing verses of Hebrews chapter 12, we are transported by the author from the commencement of redemption to a transition in God's working from Old Testament Israel to the body of Christ, to the church. And he says to his readers, you, New Covenant, local church readers, you haven't come to Mount Sinai that mountain that spoke of condemnation and accountability and was dreadful and, and reminded the nation of Israel of the distance between themselves and a holy God. You haven't come to Mount Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion. And then the writer just, he's taking this whole book to say Jesus has made things different for you. He's calling out from all nations of people for His name and redeeming them. And He's brought you into a place where you are experiencing grace and a connectedness to a redeemed family. You've been brought to God, brought to Jesus, brought to the sprinkling of blood or the application of the sacrifice of Christ to you. You are now experiencing access that was unknown before. You remember, as the Lord Jesus dies, the veil of the temple is torn from top to bottom. And access through the finished work of Christ, you have been brought to the glory of God, says the writer. Very similar to, I believe, what the Apostle Paul was referring to in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where he says, 
God's law was engraved in stone. It was the finger of God wrote it in rock. It was rigid, unbending, essentially, necessarily so. But Paul says it was a ministry of death and of condemnation, yet it was glorious. It reflected the nature of a holy God and His utter unwillingness to compromise with sin to any degree. And then Paul goes on to say this, by contrast, you have now received the Gospel, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of righteousness, and it is exceedingly glorious. It's glorious to know that we've got a God who's perfectly holy It's exceedingly glorious to know that He's made a way for us to be forgiven and be partakers of His holiness. Paul goes on to say that the redeemed are privileged to experience progressive transformation in the process. The recipients of grace, he says, are being transformed into the image of Christ. What's the next phrase? From glory to glory. From one degree of likeness of Christ to the next degree as we are being changed and matured in our relationship with the Lord. We're transformed from glory to glory as we behold the glory of Christ in the pages of Scripture. The continuity of redemption. God carrying out His plan through the ages, down to the body of Christ, down to our day. We look at the Lord's sampler from Hebrews 11 and appreciate where it takes us. Thirdly, the consummation of redemption. The consummation of redemption. The Word of God, thank Him for it, makes every believer in the Lord Jesus delightfully aware of a security that is awesome. Revelation 5.9 And they, the assembled ranks of blood-washed, redeemed people around God's throne, they were singing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, Lord Jesus, for you were slain and you purchased for God. There's your redemptive content and the the phrase that refers to it so vividly. You believers were purchased, you, you Jesus purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The wonder of our Lord's willingness and desire to be inclusive in the sense that He reaches into this world and every corner of it and brings to Himself those that will be saved. I love Isaiah 9.9 which says, For behold, I am commanding and I will shake the house of Israel among all nations as as grain is shaken in a sieve, but not a kernel will fall to the ground. I love that. I'm a farm boy. I I had the privilege of 
driving and maintaining some of the biggest harvest equipment that mankind has made, the Massey Ferguson 760. Now, that doesn't mean anything to many of you, but that was one big combine. You could lay down inside of it, crossways. The, the grain separation devices were so vast. And it was just threshing. It was taking grain out of the husk and then creating a, a winnowing surface. Great uh, screens bouncing the grain up into a blowing air, getting rid of the chaff, and then the grain would fall down and go up into a big old bin. And it was part of the setup of a combine operator to go down a row of the field and then to go back and start counting the grains that got missed. And you tried to eliminate that, but you just couldn't. Impossible for a human-made machine to be perfect. But this God is perfect. And He's saying to us through this Old Testament text, when God takes His people, His grain, and puts it in a sieve and shakes it around and lets the air blow the chaff out, He doesn't ever lose what? Not a kernel will fall to the ground. That's, that's rich security. Our Lord Jesus, of course, complemented that with his declaration in John 10 of his shepherdly care. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Redeemed people are safe people. They're protected people. Jesus prayed to His Father in John 17, 24, a prayer request that is guaranteed to be heard and answered. Father, I desire that they also whom You have given Me be with Me where I am, so that they may see My glory which You have given Me, for You loved Me before the foundation of the world. When Jesus prayed for you and I who know Him as Savior, He said, my desire is that they be with me. And that prayer is going to be answered. Every last believer, every last recipient of the redemption of God will in fact arrive safely home. Consummation of redemption. Men from every tribe and tongue, and people and nation, Purchased for God with Jesus' blood. Lastly, and we're, I've saved the, the bulk of our study time for this last point, and I would encourage you to open your Bibles to the 107th Psalm that you may have it before you. will not be expositing it. I will be giving you an overview, but it will be helpful, I think, for you to be able to see it. The 107th Psalm is a collage of situations faced by common people. The Apostle Paul is going to tell us that the things which happened to the nation of Israel happened for our instruction. 
They're written for our learning. They're so illustrative, so helpful. And this particular psalm is rich with illustrative scenes of the glory of God in redeeming a people. It becomes very apparent right from the start where we are introduced to what God deserves and what is His due. Where the first three verses say, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered from the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Part of this text was a familiar declaration or call from one of my early pastors who was my mother's brother, my Uncle Ray. We had testimony nights perpetually, and uh, Uncle Ray would begin it with, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And um, so I'm very familiar with this particular declaration. The writer of the psalm is telling us, he's giving us a challenge that our praise and our appreciation for the redemptive work of God is to be vocalized. We're to put it into words and we're to make it heard by others. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and this is part of that. It's to be communicated. Give thanks to the Lord. Thanksgiving, as you and I will appreciate over these messages that we're looking at together, Thanksgiving is a critical part of recognizing the glory of God. It's a critical component of praise that Paul says in Romans 1 is neglected by those who refuse to acknowledge the Lord of glory. It's the appropriate fruit of both revelation of God received and experienced. Because we not only get to acquainted with truth, but the longer we live, we experience the wonder of God working in and through us, consistent with His truth. Verse 1 speaks of the goodness and the lasting chesed, the lasting grace, the lasting loving kindness of the Lord. Those are to be realized personally. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble or, as New American says, from the adversary. He has, by redeeming, brought the worst, uh, brought His people from the worst trouble by gathering them from every direction unto Himself, every possible setting on the planet where people dwell, God's interests and His work is at work. It's a call to worship that will be repeated in verse 8, 15, 22, and 31. The rest of the psalm breaks into four distinct segments reflecting north, south, east, and west, reflecting God's work in, in a, a graphic way. 
And the call to worship here in verse 3, uh, um, in verse uh, 8, for example, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love for His wondrous works to the children of men. That call to worship will occur four times in once in each of these sections. The people of God, the redeemed ones, are to be responding to God's redemptive work. So, we look at the that which God deserves, that which He is due, the responsive praise of His people. We look next at man's dilemma and the chaos of sin. Man's dilemma and the chaos of sin. Why is this praise so essential and why is it so fitting? The next um, thing that the writer does in these four segments, in these four graphic illustrations, is describes the chaos of sin. First of all, he reminds us that those who are redeemed needed it because they're lost. Some wandered in desert places, verse 4, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted from within them. These are wonderful phrases and wonderful... This was physical, this was literal, this was historical for Israel, but it's also amazingly illustrative and carried out through the remainder of the Word of God. What's it like to be without the Lord and unredeemed? Lost. Wandering. Hungry. Thirsty. Unsatisfied. Fainting. Graphic. Very helpful. Very meaningful. In the next section, verse 10 through 14, the illustration is that of imprisonment. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So He bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Darkness, misery, chains, none to help. And in this case, self-inflicted. They're in prison because they had been recipients of God's Word and His counsel and had told God to take a walk. Oh, the kindness. I, you, you can't read that phrase and that section without thinking of Proverbs 1, right? Wisdom crying in the streets. Why don't you listen? Respond to me. You and I are surrounded by a culture and precious lives, people that we love, who could only be described as prisoners today, helpless, in darkness. Third category, afflicted. Verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and drew near to the gates of death. This is worse than COVID. 
folly, rebellion, iniquity, the description of lives who have sown to the wind and they're reaping the whirlwind. And they've lost the simple pleasures of life. Their normal appetites are gone and death is pressing in. The afflicted ones. And the last is that of those who are broken. Verse 23 talks about an unusual group of people in Jewish history for the Jews rarely went on, on ships. They were not a sailing culture as such. But some, says verse 23, went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His works, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. And if you've ever been out on Lake Michigan in a storm or Lake Superior, you it's really hard. This is this is ocean kind of talk. They mounted up to the heavens and they went down to the depths. This is boats that are just up here and boom down there. And um, if I did that enough times, I think we could all get a little queasy. They, verse 27, or verse 20, let's finish up 26. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. The broken. They are experiencing a violent storm that God created. And we as followers of the Lord and we who appreciate the Word of God and, and walk through its wonders, we know, we know, we know that these four categories and the dreadful negatives that are expressed here are not the unkindness of God. They're the kindness of God. His goodness leads to repentance, but He also uses that which causes us to be aware of the fact that the, the pathway we're on walking away from Him never, ever, ever has a positive outcome. It's always going to turn ugly. It's always going to have its guaranteed downside so that we will see the nature of our condition accurately. For we look as we walk through this, not only at the chaos of sin, but at man's desperation that arises. The impact of God-ordained dilemma in that which sin creates and brings about in lives is the mighty working of the Holy Spirit to convict and open eyes to the Gospel. Verse 6, do you see it there? What's the first word? What is it? Verse 6? Then. Verse 13? Then. Verse 19? Then. Verse 28? Then. The Lord's 
kind ability to bring human beings, be listed unshackled, right, among others. The rich testimonies of people who just, they run away from God as hard as they can. And every, every day it just gets worse. Even the, the rich and the wealthy, the, as they bask in their own success, they're rotting on the inside. And if by the kindness of God and the purposes of God, the Spirit of God makes them appreciate the fact, what's missing? What am I missing? What's going on here? And if, if the truth, the gospel truth has been brought into their hearing and God is at work in their lives, then they cry out. That is the cry of faith. Enabled by God, generated by the work of God in their lives. What's the completion of the phrase that occurs four times? Verse 8 says, Then um, verse 6, I got too far ahead. Verse 6, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them or saved them from their distress. Illustrative, of course, super illustrative of the ultimate distress and difficulty in life being separated from God. Lord, save me. Pride has been shattered. Self-will and self-effort has been abandoned. The Apostle Paul says the God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Whether a prisoner, whether on the sea, whether fading away, whether whatever the condition of alienation from God and the awful fruit of that experience, God has brought these to cry out. And He's responded. And He's brought them great deliverance. Within the, 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 the uh, dynamic work of God, the ones who are calling on the name of the Lord are rescued. And again, note these wonderful illustrations. God's deliverance. God's powerful redemption. <clears throat> the lost are delivered. But listen to verse 7 and 8. He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men, for He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. You hear Jesus, don't you, saying, Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn. And, and oh, how we appreciate the fact that Jesus doesn't say, if you're sad, you're blessed. He's saying, if you, come, if you are brought to the place where you understand your condition without him, 
And He opens up your eyes to the wonder of who He, the Redeemer is. This, this Lord satisfies the hungry soul. It's great grace. Those who are in prison, verse 13, they cry to the Lord. He delivers them. Verse 14 says, He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. And resurrection songs, and there's quite none quite like low in the grave He lay, Jesus my Savior. And we, we sing about uh, death cannot keep its prey. Jesus, my Savior, He tore the bars away. I love it. It's the bars of death. And here the, the bondage. Anything that holds the sinner in bondage is pictured by the power of God here in, in verse um, 14. Verse 16, He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Impenetrable metal restraints in that day. Obliterated. The imprisoned are set free. And if the sun set you free, you're what? Free indeed. What about the afflicted? Verse 19. They cry out to the Lord. Verse 20 says, He sent out His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Delivered from destruction. The uninterrupted walk. You you appreciate, you remember dear Johnny Erickson saying, "I I, I was on my way to do my own thing with my own life and God broke my neck. It was the splash of cold water in my face that said, you will not go on without me. And she praises God for interrupting her life in order that she might know Him. Verse 28. Oh, those dear sailors. At their wit's end, remember? Verse 28 says, they cried out to the Lord. Verse 29, He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. And they were glad that the waters were quiet. And He besought them, He brought them to their desired haven. We, again, we're, we're transported by the Holy Spirit to the powerful Word of the Lord Jesus as His His seaworthy, seasoned fishermen, disciples are saying on the, in the midst of a Galilee storm, we're perishing and you don't care. Jesus said, hush. The power of God to bring peace. And those, it was just an illustration, a demonstration of His power over the physical world, which is magnified in the spiritual world. You who know the Lord as Savior can say, I I never had peace until I met the Prince of Peace. And He set me at peace. The Master of the Sea 
and his mighty word to bring great calm. We finish here with God's delight. The delight of the Redeemer is to receive praise for his redemptive work. Paul will remind us to revel in this reality at the rescue work of God when he says that the Lord will forever be experiencing and he has done his redeeming work to the praise of his glory. Glorious Ephesians 1, right? For the praise of his glory. Salvation, all things being of him, through him, and to him. The 107th Psalm concludes with a remarkable summary. A summary of God's sovereign power. Listen to verse 33 and 34. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. Verse 39, when they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless waste. Sovereign power to generate an acute awareness of the barrenness of life without him. Sovereign power the Lord has to be truly kind in turning rivers of self-interest and pride into wilderness <clears throat> into a wilderness scenario to interrupt the fruitful land of our short-sighted earthly goals and make it a salt waste we don't have time or the ability to pray for everybody but when i hear of men like Troy Aiken putting on his second Super Bowl ring and saying, really, is this all there is? I know that his rivers have been turned into a barren waste. And I say, Lord, save that guy. He needs you. Sovereign power to take the human experience and build within that experience those kind of ex things that drive souls to Him. But there's not only sovereign power here, there's sovereign pleasure. Verse 35, He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there He lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By His blessing, they multiply greatly. And he doesn't let their livestock diminish. Again, Jewish earthly reality, but illustrative of the power and the pleasure of God to in Christ bless us with every spiritual blessing in such a way that regardless of what else is happening in our lives, we are experiencing a relationship with our Lord that is rich and fruitful. Verse 42 is a sovereign proclamation that closes. The upright will see it and are glad. 
and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Ability of God to shut up the mouths of those who are his enemies. Perhaps the testimony of our friend Paul, one of the redeemed, fits in here. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners lost, imprisoned, afflicted, broken people, among whom I am foremost of all, said Paul, yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Christ Jesus might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in Him for eternal life. Immediately, Paul says, now, to this one who showed me mercy, this one who saved a foremost of sinners, to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Apostle Paul, Philippians, right? Man, I had a record. I had assets. I had spiritual perks. I was, man, I was. And he just flattened it and made me aware of the reality that it was a pile of manure. It was worthless. And I came by God's kindness to understand that the things that I thought were such assets were worthless. And I counted them all lost so that I could know Christ. He was being redeemed. So our psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the land, from the east, and from the west, from the north, and from the south. Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things to consider the loving kindness of the Lord. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. I know I shall see in His beauty the King in whose law I delight, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giveth me song to the night. Father, thank You for our Redeemer. Thank You for Your singular plan from creation to consummation to call unto Yourself a people for Your name. 
And for those of us who know you, we say with great joy, thank you, Lord. It is mercy, it is grace indeed. We rejoice in your kindness toward us. For any of our presence this morning who are among the lost, among the broken, among the prisoners, among those who are afflicted. In the kindness of your heart, as you make them aware of the dreadful condition of separation from yourself, Lord, may them, may they by your Spirit cry out, Lord, save me, knowing that you hear delight to redeem those from north, south, east, and west, from every tribe, nation, kindred, and language. You're a great redeemer. We love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.